Welcome to the Sexy Biz Babe podcast. I'm your host, Tia Lin, a business empowerment coach and motivational speaker. This show is for the high achieving woman who wants it all. Each week, I walk you through how to own your power, generate consistent leads, attract clients, and close sales with ease and confidence. It's time to make money doing what you love. Let's dive in. Hello, my sexy biz babes. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. I have Dr. Tina Shermer Sellers on today. We are going to be talking about sex education for kids. This may be a taboo topic, but we're going to be talking about what to talk about with your kids, what not to talk about, why it's important to inform them about maybe their genitals or what to be aware of and how to talk to them in a safe way that also, you know, keeps them safe. So let's go ahead and dive into it. But first of all, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, T. I'm so glad to be here. So I'm Dr. Tina Schirmer Sellers, and I am a certified sex therapist, a licensed marriage and family therapist, a medical family therapist. I taught in a graduate uh, marriage and family therapy program for about 30 years. And I ended up specializing in a couple of different things in the area of medicine and integrated medicine and working with around the impact of illness on you. But I also specialized in sexuality and sexual shame. And that grew out of my work with clients and with students and um, later ended up doing a lot of research and spending 11 months writing the book, Sex, God, and the Conservative Church, Erasing Shame from Sexual Intimacy, because I could see the impact of sexual shame on people's lives, which I know you've covered a lot. Um, And then out of that grew um, Shameless Parenting, which was a book for parents, because I had so many parents say to me, I don't want to do to my kids what was done to me. Can you help me? Because I don't know what to do. And I'm like, I got you. I've been teaching this stuff forever. So I put that book together, which literally holds parents' hands. And we can talk more about that one later. But um, yeah. And then I went on to leave my academic position and retire from it and start an institute that trains physicians and therapists and clergy and educators on sexual health and understanding their sexual biases. Since as a country, we're very ignorant and naive about that area of life. And um, we just, we don't provide comprehensive sex education, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And because of that, we also go to graduate school to study to be a physician or a therapist. And we don't get much there either. At best, we get one class. And it's just not enough. So um, so I've now provided a place for, and I'm one of a few different places around the country where people can go and really study what that what is human sexuality, what is sexual health, and what is what are my sexual biases and how do they get in the way of me loving and attaching and being part of community and parenting and whatever else I might do in my life. So yeah, that's me. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So I was raised in Utah, very conservative. And some of my other family members are like in my family tree are Catholic. And even just a few weeks ago, I heard somebody be like, oh, no, we don't talk about that. And it was like a body part because we want to keep them pure as long as possible, like (laughs) out of sight. Don't talk about it. So what do you have to say about that where they're just like, no, we just don't talk about it. 
We don't educate about genitals. We don't talk about sex. Um, yeah. Well, I, I think it's interesting because in your story, you said, we don't talk about it. We want to keep it as pure as possible for as long as possible. The idea that any part of our body isn't pure, mm. isn't beautiful, isn't on purpose, doesn't have a great function, a part of our health and wellness is crazy to me because every single part of our body is there for a reason. Mm. It's important. And sexuality is the only place where we believe in not teaching our children to prepare them for the future. Everywhere else, like we don't wait for our kids to be 16 and be like, you're not driving a car. You're not driving a car. You're never driving a car. They are dangerous. They are dangerous. And then when they turn 16, we hand them keys and we let them go out on the freeway mm -hmm. or fly a plane or anything else, get a job. Everything else we do, we give them so much information and we don't tell them about the engine and the carburetor and the brakes and how they're put together when they're two or they're five or they're eight. We give them that stuff when they're like 14 and 15 and they're old enough to grab that stuff. It's no different when we're talking about bodies and sexuality and relationships, which is really all what, you know, a lot of what follows under the umbrella of sex education is we're helping kids know this is your body autonomy. This is your body. Everyone is in charge of their body. You are not in charge of someone else's body and they are not in charge of yours. You're telling them that at two and three, right? You're letting them know how to be a good friend, what it means to be kind, to what it means to be respectful, what it means to have somebody be kind to you and be respectful of you, how to tell the difference. We're teaching them about um, just uh, all kinds of ways of relating, but, but also when they're two and they're wanting to know, what's that? What's that? And we go, well, that's a tree. That's this kind of a tree. And it grows in our part of the country, or that's a particular bird. It's, it's in our part, our neighborhood, you know, or whatever. We also tell them about parts of their body. You know, eyes, nose, ears, toes, the whole thing, right? And when kids are somewhere between 10 months and a year old is when they start learning that their hands aren't a weapon that keeps smacking them. Mm. You know, before <laughs> that, that's what it does. But somewhere between 10 minutes in a year, a child, when they're getting their diapers changed or they're um, in the bathtub, they're going to discover their genitals, right? Mm -hmm. And that is going to be a glorious day for them. Because that part of our body has a concentration of nerve endings and it feels comforting, comfortable, pleasurable to touch, right? It's just that they're pre-verbal. And so if they're in a home where that's just another body part, then somebody's there to say, yep, that's your penis. It's a great part of you. Now let's move your hand out of the way and finish diapering you. Or if they're in the tub, yep, that's your penis. Or that's your clitoris. Or that's your vulva. It's a fabulous part of you. And it's got lots of nerve endings, which is why it feels good to touch it. Let me finish washing you up and getting you out and putting your jammies on and whatever. It just goes like that. But if it's a family that's a don't, then somebody is there to usually yell at them, gross, don't touch, that's yucky, stop, mm. or to slap their hand away. Now, this is a preverbal child, and that caregiver is the world to them, like literally the person who's keeping them alive. And so when that person comes at them that way and scares them, the only thing that they can 
think. And at this point, it's not a thought, it's a visceral feeling, mm-hmm. right? It's shame, it's visceral, is something must be wrong with me. Because I don't know what I'm getting in trouble for. I'm just being me. I'm just doing what I do. You know, I'm just or that's bad. the world. Yeah. A right? part of me is bad. That's right. I'm bad. Not just that part of me, but I'm bad. I'm bad. It's different than that because um, I, I have, I, I don't only know how to generalize at that age. I don't know how to be specific. Mm-hmm. Now later I might go, yeah. And that those parts of me are bad. Any, my curiosity about those parts of me are bad. You know, the fact that I find comfort when I touch that part of me, that's bad. Seeking comfort is bad. So they start making all kinds of meanings of most people. When you ask them, tell me about growing up and around sexuality and gender and all that, they'll say, I remember getting in trouble around Mm -hmm. age five, but you have to understand they got in trouble hundreds and hundreds of times before that. They just don't remember. And so I say sexual shame is our very first shame in the United mm. States because it starts it's very so intense and mm. it's pre-verbal. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So when do you think it's safe to talk about sex and what it means or if it starts feeling good and then they're touching themselves down there? Sure. Yeah. So there's all kinds of things that are happening. So at the very beginning, it's labeling and they've got diapers. And so you're just like, we're going to finish getting dressed and get up. Then they go off and play. The next thing that might happen is they're out of diapers. They've really come to realize that that's a favorite part of their body, right? (laughs) And they're touching themselves, but let's say they're three, right? So they aren't able to hold quite yet that exactly what it means to be like, that's a more private part of your body. And we tend to touch it in our bedrooms or our bathroom. That's what we all do in the family. That's just how we are here, where we live here. Um, you can start saying that at three, but they're not going to start getting it, getting it until they're like four, somewhere around there. And so you just know, well, yep, there you are. Not when we're in the grocery store. Let's remember that we're going to wait till we get home. Boom, boom, boom. You just, you just, you're just giving a lot of instruction like you do with so many things. You know, you don't tell children once to pick up their toys and then they do it every time after that, right? It takes mm-hmm. a lot of little instructions and they get it a little bit better as each month goes on, right? And so that's what happens developmentally, what happens, you know, next. Um, next, they'll start uh, usually around three, four. They're going to um, start being curious more about g- gender identifying, you know? So they might say, you know, mama is a girl. There are three girls in this house, one, two, you know, like they'll do this kind of thing. So they're paying attention to the messages that they're getting around gender identification. And that's when you're going to find out if they identify with what they got when they were born. What? Oh my God. Because they're going to be like, I like wearing dresses. I've got a sister, you know, I'm a girl like my mama, you know, they're going to start doing things. They start saying things like that, or, Mm. or I'm just like my dad, or I'm just like my uncle or whatever it is. That comes between three and five. They start saying those kinds of things. If a child does not identify with what they were assigned at birth. You I think it's that days. soon? That oh, early yeah. on? Three, four, five. You bet. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. If it's strong in them, if they have a sense of it in them. Yeah, absolutely. And you want to just listen to them. Oh, okay. All right. So how do you want to dress today? Okay. Yeah. Just, I want to go by Scotty. Okay. We go by Scotty. 
who cares? Whatever. We're going to let you keep developing. And then we're going to see how, how this all goes for you. But if a child feels it very strongly, if you push against it, children can be suicidal by the age of 10. Hmm. 40% of people who are transgender will attempt suicide and many will complete 40%. And the most key factor on whether or not that happens or not is the parent support or lack of support. Yeah. So why do you think it's important to allow a kid to say not like pink or not like dresses? And I'm not even getting into gender identity. Well, I guess that is gender identity. And just to clarify for listeners, gender identity isn't what you're given as a, your sex. It's just like what you identify as. So what you feel like on the inside. Okay. Yeah. And my brother, he knew he was gay by the time he was seven. He didn't know what it meant. Yeah. But he also identified as a boy, but yes. he also liked to dress up in my stuff and play Barbies with me. But then he also loved to play Legos with me and to play cars with me and fix things. So like, it didn't really matter, but I don't think gender identity was huge in our household because yeah, he was able to play Barbies with me, but then I also played Legos. It wasn't a big deal. Yeah. Um, nice. And, you know, he's, he identifies as a boy. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that helped, but what, what happens if possibly I know in some households where it's like, you have to play football, you have to like sports, you don't like pink, don't like dresses. Like what? Could that possibly yeah. have if, on a if child? that doesn't feel right to them, then they're caught for the child. Then the child is caught between doing what feels right for them in their mm. gut and making their parents happy. And because their parents are keeping them alive, they're going to often do what their parents want them to do. But deep down inside, they start feeling like I'm not okay the way I am. Mm. I, I'm not loved the way I am. I'm okay. not seen the way I am. And so they'll really struggle with self-esteem because they don't feel seen, known, loved, or accepted because someone is saying, I'll see you. I'll know you. I'll love you. I'll accept you. If you play football, if you dress this way, if you do, you know, blah, 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 you fight people or whatever the deal is, you, you know, put dresses on all the time, whatever it is, they're going to, they're going to figure that out real quick. You know, I'm not okay the way I am. I'm not loved for who I am. I have to be something mm-hmm. else. And, and kids will begin, depending on their personality, if they're really compliant, they're not going to act out. If they're more got more spot in them, they're going to start pushing out and acting out or being put it, that violence against themselves, right? Okay. Start just feeling bad about themselves and doing things that are like hurting themselves and stuff like that. Mm, yeah. Okay. And then I'm curious, when is a good time to talk about the birds and the bees? What sex actually is? So you let kids bring it up. So okay. depending, sometimes they're going to get exposed to something at school. When mm-hmm. they come home, let's say that first time, and it could be around six or so, and ask, well, what, how do babies get here? Like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> what, what's the... I am often saying to parents, find out what they're really asking and just yeah. answer that question. Mm. So, be like, so do you want to know 
where babies grow in the body? Do you want to know how they come out? Do you want to know where you get one? Do you want to know what, what, what do you really want to know? But how can I answer that question for you and find out really specifically? Cause usually they just have a little bit that they want to know at that point, because it's just where they are developmentally. Like, well, Michelle said that you go to a special place, like where you get pumpkins and that's where you get get their brother. Like, oh, so you want to know where they come from? Well, it grew inside my body or we adopted a child into our family mm-hmm. or whatever. You explained this. IVS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right. We, we went to a specialist. You just give a little bit of the story and this is where the baby grew and this is how the baby came out or or however it was, you know. And whatever, the, I always call that your love story. Whatever the child's love story is, you give them a piece of that love story. Now, they may ask more specifics the next year or the next year. You're just listening, Right. In the book, Shameless Parenting, the book is divided birth to two, two to four, four to six, six to eight, all the way up to 18. And at the end of every section, I say, here are the leading books right now for kids and for parents and the best websites to go to. So parents don't even have to do the hard work. I've kind of done it for you. Just go get Mm -hmm. those books, read those books. They're going to do all the work for you and they'll be developmentally appropriate. Like they're not going to go down the road where they're going to be at 10. They're not going to be saying that to the four-year-old or the six-year-old, right? They're going to be giving them just what kids that age can understand and are usually curious about, you know? Yeah. I've heard through other people who specialize in this or even just on TV with good sex education, it's like, they just say like a factual, logical thing that's simple. And then the kids are like, oh, okay. And then can I have a candy? Where it's not like this big whole thing. It's Mm -hmm. almost just like they were just curious and to just answer the question a little bit logically and then move on. Um, What about when like, okay, what's an average age when you actually get into it? Like anatomy wise. Okay. All right. So having sex, what is sex? That Mm -hmm. type of thing. Yeah. So one of the things I want to, sort of clarify, because we're kind of talking around it a little bit, is that we're not talking about having the talk. Yeah. There's no such thing as a talk. Mm, It's multiple talks. 100 one minute conversations. Mm -hmm. You're having a thousand one minute conversations, Mm -hmm. right? And so at what point do we talk about actual reproduction? Mm -hmm. You know, usually kids are getting more curious, eight years old or so, eight, nine years old. They're wanting to know more about Okay, wait, wait a minute. What actually happened here? Right. And so, well, let me draw you a picture. Let me tell you a little bit more about it. So eight, nine, 10, right in there, the story gets a little bit more complex, right? About what all is going on and reproduction and puberty and how the body changes and, you know, all of that kind of thing and about different types of family forms. But you might've been reading little kid books about, different kind of animal families since they were two. Mm -hmm. But now you might be talking a little bit more specifically, you know, about different kinds of family forms. Mm -hmm. So it's really a story that is growing in complexity each year based on their cognitive capacities to understand. And this is the way we teach everything. We teach math this way. We teach reading this way. We teach social studies, political science, right? We don't tell them all the scary stories 
when they're five or six or seven about, you know, things we've done in our history as a country, right? We tell them that in junior high, right? When they get to learn, but they've learned lots of other things about maybe that era or, you know, other pieces of the story, but again, developmentally appropriate, right? And it gets, every story gets more complex as they grow older. You know, we're talking about exploitation, you know, to the 10 or 11 year old, right? Because we've got nine-year-old girls who are getting whistled at, or somebody's saying something to them. All of a sudden, their body is not their body anymore. They've just realized in that moment that somebody out there sees their body different, and that's a threat. Okay. And that brings up sensation. I know as a woman, it still does. Still brings up that sensation of, uh, like, okay. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, you don't have a right, but that's part of the world. So we, again, are preparing our kids. We're talking about exploitation. And it's like, you know, sometimes I have to tell you that this world isn't as kind as it is inside our family. You know, yeah. and this is one of those moments, right? One of the things that stuck with me was from one of my actually very religious, um, like, family members and mm-hmm. how they did educate their child on their private parts and gave it names and anatomy and then also shared like, Hey, if anybody else tries to touch or ask to see, or like kind of like what's wrong and right to tell me. And whereas like other families where they were just like, don't talk about this. That's bad. Don't talk about your penis. Don't talk about your vagina. They also didn't feel safe to tell their parents because they felt shame when other people may have crossed lines or boundaries. So I feel like that's also very important on why we need to talk about the anatomy and what's okay and what's not and not just push it to the side because most, um, what is it? Most uh, sexual abuse often happens from close friends or family members, unfortunately. And I, I believe that education and knowing what's right and wrong is very crucial in this. Right. Exactly. Yeah. The average age that a child is sexually assaulted is the age of six by somebody who's around 20. That's just average. Of course, it can be different than that. And it often is somebody that's close to the family, either is in the family or is a family friend Mm -hmm. and has access to the child. Six-year-olds are incredibly precocious. They Mm -hmm. are friendly. They have a good command of the language by then usually. And a lot of parents stop supervising them as closely when they Mm -hmm. hit that age. So I talk about in the book beginning around like four to six, you want your kids playing with kids that are within 12, 18 months tops of their own age. Mm -hmm. If there's going to be anybody any older, you're there. Mm, you are there like and you are watching because mm. it's not that something's wrong when two seven-year-olds want to look at each other, right? There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. The power differential is the same. But when we get to older, the power differential begins to change. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is the younger one doesn't feel safe to say no to this one, mm-hmm. right? And so the coercion can happen. Manipulation can happen. Even when it's not meant to, we are human. We want what we want. Children are very much that way. So it's the parent's responsibility that you supervise children closely anytime they're with somebody 18 months or older. 
you know, just to be that extra power if it needs to come into the room, you know? And so it can be something as simple as one child who's older says, Hey, um, if you clean my room, I'll give you a sucker or I'll give you a piece of candy. Yeah. Right. And to say to the <laughs> older one, now, if you were the one that was four, their seven say, would that feel fair to you? And if they say no, say, well, let me tell you what that's called. We call that a power abuse. Mm. You're using your power to take advantage of this littler one because they don't know better. And that's actually not a kind thing to do. So while it's okay that you want them to do that, that's not a kind thing to do to take advantage of the fact that that younger one doesn't like know better or wouldn't be willing to say no to you or whatever, you know? And so I want you to think about that because I really want you to act from a place in your heart that is fair and just and kind. Wow. Again, you might say that that 10 times, right? Yeah. I've never thought of that, but I'm trying to think back into my childhood and I did usually play with like kids my age. Sometimes I played with my brother and his kids, his friends, but like it was only like a little bit or to like kind of maybe supervise them. I don't know. But we also played like Barbies and stuff. So (laughs) I think it was all fine and dandy and he was my brother. But no, I think that's that's a really good point. I really like that, especially I I really like that. I've never touched on that or even heard it. So very powerful. Um, What other tips do you have for kids and their safety and like being able to know what's right or wrong? from other people or other yeah, kids often know a lot. So you can engage them. You know, did that feel fair to you? Did that feel right? How do you think that felt to them? How might it have felt to you? You know, kids often have a really good moral compass, you know? Um, and, and so it's really good to elicit that kind of thing from them. I think that there are some other things we can do to just as a, to have a kind of awareness. So for example, we have a very, very long history in our, country and beyond in the sort of empire Christian world. We have um, our our sexual ethic that we have here in the United States that's been very much a part of our churches forever has been that um, pleasure and desire is dangerous, Mm -hmm. right? And so therefore we have to curb it. Right. And if we can't, if a man can't curb his desire, then we say it's a woman's fault. Yeah. Right. But Mm -hmm. that's not fair to men or women. Men are very capable of having discipline (laughs) and have it in many areas of their life all the time. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So to say to a kid, you know, like, oh, you're a boy, you're just being a boy, you get to behave Mm. that way, is not doing them any favors. Right. And so you say, I don't care what someone is doing. You are 100% responsible every day for what you say and what you do, no matter how someone else is being. And so when they start getting the messages later, like if a boy starts getting the message that women are for their pleasure, when they want it, how they want it, and she's an object of their pleasure then you've already been beginning to build like, would that feel fair if that was on your foot, if you were treated that way? Is it true that you wouldn't know how to say no to something that could hurt somebody? Mm -hmm. So, you know, and you help them. And 
I can, you know, obviously any kid that grows up in my family gets a lot of this kind of thing. And, and I can remember um, picking up my son one time, he had been at a youth group at a church and um, he said, Oh mom, I was really glad you weren't there tonight. And I said, Oh gosh, what happened? And he said, well, there was a lady that came and she came and she talked about sexuality and she turned to all the girls and she said, I don't want any of you allowing a boy to kiss you for a long period of time because it's too hard for them. And he said, took away their power. That was flying. And I said, Oh, what'd you do? And mind you, he was 16 and super cocky, you know, okay. okay. (laughs) Run the world. Right. (laughs) And, and so she called on him and he said, do you mean to tell me and every other boy in this room that they are not responsible for what they say and what they do? That somehow the girls are responsible for what we do? Because I'm sorry, that is not the way I was raised. Ooh. And, and he just you know, <laughs> put this poor woman in her place. You know, I felt really bad, you know, but that's true. Like he yeah. had gotten that over and over again. And, and much, much later when he was an adult, he said, you know, mom, those messages actually really helped me to understand the role power was playing in my business relationships, in my friendships all over the place. Like, I feel like I know how to use power to work and be useful and helpful, but not hurtful. And I'm like, that's a way bigger thing than I even thought of at the time. Cause I was mostly thinking about how no son of mine was going to buy into this idea that women were objects because that was not going to fly. And that wasn't going to fly with the heart of the person that he was either, you know, but I also knew that he would probably do like lots of boys and do what the boys club kind of said during adolescence and then look back and feel badly about it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wanted to save him from that too. You know, yeah. I really appreciate that from like spreading that. And it also does, it empowers both sides. Yeah. Women, we can hold our own. It doesn't matter what you're wearing. You can still say no or what you're doing. Me personally, I'm probably like, I like to dress sexier. Um, I remember as a kid, I did wear shorter shorts, but I was also a very underdeveloped, like I developed a lot later in life. So I think I looked like a kid for much longer. Um, But I liked wearing shorter shorts. I didn't find it sexual because I wasn't thinking about sex for the longest time, to be honest. So how do you help kids when they're being sexualized? Like, a woman who starts developing her breasts a lot sooner and she's already being sexualized. Like it's pretty obvious. It's natural. Guys are staring at her and now she's been told she's, you know, fully developed, cover your boobs, cover your body, cover, 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 because you don't want to be, you know, right. Stared yeah. at and looked at as sexual. Like what would you tell those girls? Yeah. I mean, I think that I, would speak about culture, you know, like I'd be saying, you know, they get their bras snapped, they get hit on the butt, whatever they get Mm. objectified in ways they didn't ask for Mm -hmm. being objectified. Doesn't have to be bad. I mean, in relationships, some, you know, you kind of like that your husband (laughs) as an adult, (laughs) it's not, it's not bad, bad, but Mm. when it comes, when it's unsolicited and not from somebody that feels safe to you, that's Mm. not okay. Right. So it's not okay to do. And then it feels yucky to have it done to you. So then just talking about what actually is happening here. Why is it? Do you think that the boys are feeling that they can do that? What do you feel on the inside? 
you know, well, I don't feel like it's nice. It feels kind of mean to me. Like, like you didn't give them permission to touch you, right? Mm -hmm. Your body is yours, isn't it? He doesn't have any right to touch you, does he? No one does. Not just that he's a boy or anybody. You have the right to say, don't ever do that again. Or there'll be consequences, you know, Mm -hmm. or please don't do that again. And if you do, I will get more help to help you stop. Right. Right. Helping them know how to empower themselves and up their power if they need it. Right. If they don't feel like they have enough, then where can you get more? Do you need Mm. to call me in? Do you need to call your teacher in your brother in, you know, what do you need to do? That's going to help you feel like you can have the power you need to get to an extinguish something if possible. And then I think, you know, when they're like, seven-ish, eight for sure, nine, 10, you're talking, you're starting to notice things in the world that you can tell them about, you know, ways in which we act in disrespectful, unkind ways to each other. And then like, here's another example. We're watching the show on TV, right? And you see this happening. What do you think that's like for him, for her, for them, Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, That's an example of how sometimes where we live, people are allowed to be unkind to each other, to scare each other, to grab somebody else's body. This is the stuff that I talk to you about a lot because it's a part of things. We keep try to keep our home and our friendship circle and our family circle as safe as possible, but it's not entirely safe out there. So I also have to equip you for knowing how to be the best version of yourself out there, you know, and to try to get whatever help that you need. And so it's, it's educating them. I, you know, I love giving what, what we have now come to call media literacy, you know, helping kids understand the messages that are coming from advertisements. Ooh. Right. And so it's like, what does that, what is that message? Who's, who's creating that message? Who's it for? Who's it not for? How is it making people feel? What is it trying to motivate people to do? Mm. How do you feel about that? You know, and having those conversations and there's so many places to have those, right? We've got advertisements everywhere, right? And you can have these and it just helps your child learn to be a very critical thinker, critical consumer, knowing what to stand up and push against and say, I don't need to be skinnier. I am exactly how I'm supposed to be. I look like everybody else in my family. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Everybody isn't supposed to look the same any more than every tree is supposed to be the same or every flower is supposed to be the same or every vegetable we get. That would be horrible. You know, we're supposed to be different, but we live in a culture that tries to tell people they're not good enough so that they buy more things. Mm, Yes, exactly. And to go back on what you said, like a kid speaking up for themselves, I really liked saying I didn't give you permission to do that. I think that's even great as as an adult. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, I didn't give you permission to do that. It makes it so it's like an even playing ground and that you're not like tattling on them. But it's like, hey, this is my body. I I don't know. I feel like that's great for kids and adults. So I just wanted to like highlight that. Um, Yeah. And it empowers And it reminds people that they need to get permission. Yeah. Right. Like permission is necessary here. If we're talking about this, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, still today, like we, (laughs) we practice permission and consent 
way more often these days and in my lifestyle and in what I do and where I'm at, it's, it's way more, I don't know, everybody's a lot more aware. So yeah, I really like that. And then that brings it up earlier. We were talking about what's okay and what's not okay. So what's your view on masturbation and just like I said earlier, some families are just like, that's wrong. That's bad. Don't do that. That's of the devil. Like, and then they just shame you and they can't talk about it. Yeah. I'd love to open that dialogue. And when is it okay? How much is okay? How do you teach them about masturbation? (laughs) Well, so they're going to naturally find that part of their body. Like we talked about before, right? They're going to often before puberty or so they're, you know, before 10 ish, they're going to be, um, that part of their body is going to be a place of comfort. So kids that are touching themselves who are under 10, right. Around the age four or so, they're going to finally start going to their room or going to the bathroom or whatever. Right. Um, it's just, it's like, I, I say to parents often, it's like the inside silky inside corner of their favorite bunny or their corner <laughs> of their favorite blanket. It's something that brings them comfort. And what's wonderful is it's a part of their body. Like mm-hmm. if you believe in a higher source, if you believe in God, how loved are we that we were given something on our body that can comfort us and bring mm-hmm. us pleasure. And, and even as you're older and you are able to move through your arousal cycle, moving through orgasm or ejaculation, right? You're getting a download of all these wonderful chemicals that naturally relax you, Mm. right? That's a pretty incredible thing. So people are going to naturally, I think the statistics are somewhere around 85% of women and 99% of men masturbate. Um, It's very common. And um, as you hit puberty between 13 and 15 boys get 20 times the amount of testosterone on average pumped into their body than they got before Mm, their body goes from a bicycle to a rocket ship right Mm -hmm. and nobody tells them Mm, they're just like what's going on why do i feel this way but their friends are handing you know maybe handing them you know, an iPad or handing them, you know, pornography, the average age that a child sees pornography is nine years old. Right. And so their bodies are waking up. Somebody needs to be there to say, Hey, sweetie, this is what's going to happen. This is what, and then you're going to feel really keyed up and it's your body growing into being an adult. And part of that process is what's kept our species going, right? People will feel a drive to have a release of their arousal cycle. And at some point that often will lead to some kind of sexual behavior, you know? Now I often say there's two different drives happening there when people partner, you know, have a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. There's two different drives there. One of them is the drive to procreate. One of them is the drive to move through your arousal cycle. Okay. That's what I call sex drive. Mm -hmm. The other one is the desire for intimacy, the yeah, desire connection, to be loved and accepted. Yes. The desire to share pleasure and connection with somebody that's separate. You know, mm-hmm. we conflate them as if they're the same thing. They're not the same thing. 
We have hands. We can get through our arousal cycle on our own. We don't need another person's body to do it. We do need another person if we're going to do intimacy. If we're going to do connection and pleasure, if we want to be seen, known, loved, and accepted by somebody, we've got all kinds of behaviors that we can do with them. They don't have to be penetrative behaviors, but they're about opening your heart, opening your eyes, and being present to be seen, known, loved, and accepted. So we have to create safety for that person to want to be there with you, right? That's something we co-create together. A lot of people who grow up in traditional homes and who are cis, you know, cisgendered, heterosexual, men will be trained up to believe that they get intercourse whenever they want it. And she's trained up to believe she's supposed to give it whenever he wants it. So now we've turned it into an obligation. He never sees her heart because she doesn't really want to be there, but she doesn't feel like she can say no. She doesn't feel like penetration, maybe. You know, but she doesn't feel like she can say no. So she shows up with her body and not her heart. And he might be showing up for more than just an arousal cycle. He might be showing up to feel loved, mm. right? But she can't. So I'm often trying to help men understand what if you grew up in a different society where women were taught that your body was their toy and they could do what they wanted to it whenever they wanted to. And what they wanted to do was to penetrate you in the anus. <laughs> Never they wanted. Yeah. And your job was to say, yes. Do you think you would always feel like that? Because if your answer is no, I don't think I would always feel like that. Then you kind of know what she feels like. Mm-hmm. Sometimes she wants to do other things. Sometimes she's got a one-year-old at home and she wants to sit in the tub and have you sit there with her or sit outside and pour some champagne and tell her how beautiful she is. Right. Sometimes she wants intimacy with you, something she's not going to do with anybody else but she wants it to look a little different than penetration, Mm -hmm. you know? And what you want is her heart. You want her there. You want her appreciating you, but then you've got to meet her where she is. You've got to study her. She's not you. Make her feel safe, comfortable, supportive, not rushed. Not rushed and (laughs) and open to what, what does she want? Mm -hmm. You know, what kind of sex, if we want to use that word, is worth having for her? right then. You should have a banquet of a hundred things to eat, not just one. Yes, I agree with that hundred percent. And then going back to saying no, I would love to talk just a little bit as we end this episode about helping your kids say no. So this is something that I've kind of watched and listened to other people talk about this. But what I've realized is even now it's hard yeah. for men and women to say no or everybody. I was yes. going to say like women, but everybody, it's hard for us to say no. It's like yes. gives us a struggle because we're so brought up and you have to do whatever your parents say or you have to say yes. And so I'm curious, what are your thoughts on that and to help encourage children yeah. to practice their no's? Well, I think you just said the perfect word right there, practice. It yeah. takes practice. So you practice at home together. You you both, you know, like you get all the kids to practice. You get the adults to practice. And it's like, okay, let's do a game where we get to say yes and no to touch. Okay. Mm-hmm. You can say, may I touch your hand? And I get to say yes or no. Based on maybe how they feel in the moment. It, yeah. And whether even you just, just want to say no. Yeah. yeah. 
Exactly. Whatever. You know, may I touch your elbow? Yes or no? <laughs> and you do this back and forth. So we're practicing, right? Because every person has the right to their yes and their no. And here's the beauty in that, that if you really want to have relationships where what you do is enthusiastic yeses, where people show up and their heart is open and they're excited and they really want to take care of you and them, then you have to let a no be no. Because mm-hmm. until a person knows they can say no and nobody's going to get in trouble, there's no snide look or rolling of the eyes or whatever, you're never going to get a real yes. But when someone knows, I can say no or yes and it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. then when I say yes, you know I mean it and we're all in. And then it's just way more fun. So there's yeah. no thing as a yes unless you for sure can take a no. I agree with that, especially today as a date, you know, dating, like when I can tell like a woman or a man or whoever cannot say their no's, you almost second guess their yeses all the time. You're like, wait, do they really want to wait? I don't know. And then you're in your head and then you're not fully showing up. And I love the relationships that I know for a fact, like they can honor their yeses and their no. They're going to let me stay over if they really want to. I don't have to be in my head like, wait, did they really want me there? Did they do it just to make me feel better? Or, you know, all these thoughts. And instead it's like, oh no, they really want me here because they say yes. Oh no, they really didn't want to do that because they said no. And I appreciate those relationships so much. Oh, and you've just said such a brilliant thing because (laughs) I think that's a paradox that we often don't talk about enough. That Mm -hmm. knowing that someone can speak their truth means I'm actually freer and more relaxed to enjoy myself because I can trust them. Mm-hmm. And if I do that with them, they can trust me. Mm-hmm. So you don't need to take no's personally because they're not about us. They're about the other person. We just mm-hmm. need to honor them. Like, okay, yes. fine. What else sounds good? And one of the things we talk about in my lifestyle and when I go to like wild parties is when people say no, we tell them at the beginning of the party to tell the other person receiving the no, thank you for respecting yourself. Thank you for honoring yourself and change the narrative. And yeah. instead making about yourself and your ego, it's like, thank you for respecting yourself. Thank you for honoring yourself. And still women still come up to me and they're like, I don't know how to tell them no. How do I tell them no? So this is a very, this has been going on forever. And yeah. It is both sides. I've also heard men, they're afraid to say no too because they're used to being like sex is scarcity. So they're just, they have to say yes because then am I really a man? But they're really actually not turned on or they're not ready or they're not compatible, whatever it is. So it's both sides. Yes, absolutely. So many men feel pressure. Like I've got to be on all the time. I've got to want sex all the time. I've got to, but that's not who I am. I'm a human. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't, I don't feel like I have the freedom to be honestly who I am. Mm -hmm. And, and I actually think we give more breadth for women to be, you know, multicolored, emotional, Uh, uh, multidimensional, all the different things, you know, so many things, but we have yet to challenge patriarchy or have men challenge patriarchy where they're like, that's ridiculous. I'm a human. I am not like any other man. I am me. And I do or don't want whatever I do or don't want. Yes, absolutely. Of course, please be you. We'll all be better off if you are you 
and not some role that you think you're supposed to be. Well, I loved this episode. It's very insightful. Um, I learned a few things too, and I would highly recommend anybody to check out your chart in your parenting book because I bet it's very highly educational and it will help you with all the stages and probably give you like some straight up tips and what you can say and all the things. So where can they find you first of all? Where you where do you hang out most? And then where can they find your book? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram at Dr. Tina Shameless. My institute is NW for Northwest NW Institute on Intimacy. Um, and then I've got some free stuff for people that are on my website. That's just my name, tinashermersellers.com. And you're welcome to go there. And you can find that from the Instagram too. I've got tons of other podcasts on there. Just whatever. I've got just resources, stuff that'll just help make life a little bit easier. Um, and then the both books you can get on Amazon and probably other places too. So Sex, God, and the Conservative Church, Erasing Shame from Sexual Intimacy, says how America became sex negative, how it was meant to be sex positive, mm. how commercialism plays into it, could kind of make things complex and hard, how to heal religious sexual shame and just sexual shame in general. And then what are things you can do to integrate spirituality and sexuality in a way that you like? That's all in that book. It's not a very big book. It's pretty concise, but, but it's a good one. And, um, and then shameless parenting, everything you need to raise shame-free, confident kids and heal your shame too. Mm. Um, it can be found uh, and on Amazon. And like I said, it's First to two, two to four. All you got to be is two years ahead of your kiddo. I'll hold your hand the whole way through, give you the books you need to get to help you with the conversations you need to have, but also help you heal whatever shame you have left over from growing up in your particular family or whatever. So, so there's just some, some ways to keep in touch with me and feel free to shoot me questions along the way. I'm always happy to interact with people. Yeah. And I have one more thing and I, it came up in my head a couple times and I'm like, okay, I'll just ask this and this could be a short answer or whatever. But a part of me feels like my mom did shelter me quite a bit. She, mm -hmm. in some ways, like I didn't watch, I remember I wasn't allowed to watch what's Austin Powers <laughs> and like the ones that were like very towards sex and like PG 13 and above and rated R and a part of me does think that that helped be a kid and not so focused on sex. And I feel, I don't know, I'm curious on your thoughts on that. And yeah. one side is like, oh, out of sight, out of mind. They don't know anything. Like, just protect them. And then the other side is like, maybe keeping certain things out of their sight and mind does help them. So I'm curious what you yeah. think. So I, I think we have to think about what are our hopes for our kids. Um, I think things that allow kids to see how relationships can be healthy and vital and loving. And again, inside sort of age appropriate kinds of things, but there are shows that really show family development in a really lovely way or show parents relationships in a really lovely way or, or love in a really lovely way. Nicole, can you shut your door? Just one more minute.
I wasn't sure if it was going through. I'll have to edit that. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So I think if your goal for your child is to be able to learn to cultivate a loving, safe relationship for themselves, then allow them to see things that show that. Hmm. But when we're talking about sex and violence, which a lot of shows show that, and then we can be talking about PG across the board, right? Then I think those things you want to be careful of and you want to watch with them. So you want to watch them ahead of time. And then if you think it has value so that you can talk about how do be we why, how do we be wise? The fact that we've got things like this in our culture, right? You don't want to scare children. I think if you cannot scare them, let them get a little older, save their innocence there so that they're not scared, but there's going to come a time when, you know, you're going to want to talk about it. And this is where I'd say even to like, and I can remember saying this to one of my daughters, if you see a movie, you go to a friend's house and you see a movie and it scares you or anything about it, I want you to feel free to come home and talk to me about it Mm. so that I have the chance to give you a little bit more context and information around it. Because there's just a lot of things out there that are kind of scary. Some of them are, we still call them entertainment, but they will make you think the world is like that. Mm. And others um, may be realistic. It may be a documentary and it scares you because yes, there's things like that in our world. Mm. So I mean, there's right some now half the stuff that's on the news. Most children should never be watching. Mm. And it's honestly, there's some shows that I do not watch because I like, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Like the boys, I watched the first season, but I cannot watch that show. It makes me feel like disgusting inside and I'm not judging anyone who likes it. It's fine. But for me personally, I'm just yeah. like, oh, I don't like this. This makes me feel like not good. So yeah. I just don't watch it. And yeah. I liked the first season, but I don't like it anymore. <laughs> yeah. And th- what a wonderful thing that you know how to listen to your inner wisdom and honor that. That's something that we can teach our children too. Yeah. You and don't, don't like that. You feel free. Like you say, no, I can remember one of my sons one time was like, I'm not going to go over there tonight because they're going to watch this thing. And I just know I won't do well with it. And I'm like, great, babe. What do you want to do here at home? Yeah, yeah, that's great. And not letting other people peer pressure them and be like, oh, you're a pansy or blah, blah, blah. Just maybe keep it to yourself or stay home or whatever it is. Yeah. I used to say to them. And if, you, if that feels too hard, blame me. Tell them you've got the meanest yeah. mom on the whole planet and <laughs> won't let you do X or Y or Z. I'm so happy to own that. Yeah, I love that. Okay, well, thank you so much. I'm glad I asked that last question. And You're thank welcome. you so much for coming on. Go check out the links in the bio. Check out her parenting book. That sounds amazing. And thank you so much for coming. Yes, thank you so much for having me, Tia. It was great being here with you. Yes, see you later. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, review, and share with your fellow biz babes. I'd love to hear your thoughts, takeaways, and questions. So leave me a review on iTunes. And until next time, I'll see you at the top. It's up to you to level up.